everyone. Oh, yes, I love it. We're lively this morning. It's good to be with all of you this morning. I am glad to be with you. Uh, my name is Brandon Woodard. Um, I am, I used to be a church planter here in Cincinnati. Cincinnati is home for me, uh, but I've recently transitioned uh, to a position now with a network called Harbor Network. Uh, and my role there is the uh, coordinator for church planting and multiplication. And so that's a fancy title that simply means I get to spend time with the next generation of church planters and remind them They're not crazy. That's what I get to do all day, and I love it. Um, I am married to the lovely Kristen Woodard. We have four beautiful kids, Brooklyn, Brandon, Braxton, and Braylon, nine, eight, six, and four. Uh, And so it is organized chaos at my house, but that's okay. Uh, She would love to be with us this morning, uh, but she is recovering from some illness, and so she sends her well wishes. Uh, I am excited to be back here. Uh, Some of you are some familiar faces. Uh, Back in 2019, uh, I was here doing an evangelism training, and I still see some people, and Pastor Drew tells me stories uh, that there are still members using some of that uh, that we shared in those uh, sessions, and that just warms my heart uh, to know that God used that time. I'm thankful for your pastor. Uh, he is a great friend. In 2018, I came back here uh, to start Reconcile Community Church, and uh, I stumbled across uh, a Mosaic Sensi meeting. And the first person that greeted me was your pastor. And ever since then, he's been intentional about getting time with me, uh, not just to talk about multi-ethnicity, but to get to know who I am. And that matters. It shows me that, man, the character of a man who would not just see someone as a cog in a wheel or to see someone to get something out of, but to genuinely want to build a lasting relationship. And for that, I am thankful. You all have an amazing pastor who loves you, uh, who cares for you. And whenever we get time together, we spend a lot of time talking about how much he loves you. Uh, And so that is a joy to hear. We are in Acts chapter 2. I want to read to you the first 11 verses of chapter 2. I feel like I'm being set up because Acts chapter 2 you know, it's one of those passages of scripture that's a little touchy. But nevertheless, we're going to do our best to navigate this thing, encourage you, and then get you on your way. Is that okay for you all this morning? Acts chapter 2, starting in verse number 1, it says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. The tongues divided as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the, at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? 
And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome belonging to uh, both Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Ain't that it's something? They're filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Thanks be to God. Let's go before the Lord and let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for this morning, this opportunity to uh, reflect on your goodness. Lord, we are thankful that for 170 years, you've been uh, moving in and through College Hill Presbyterian. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you have allowed us to be a part of your kingdom work here in Cincinnati. Now, Lord, I pray that as we are diving into your scriptures, Lord, I pray uh, that you would give us ears to hear what it is that you would have for us to know, say, and do. Remove any hindrances that may come about that will try to distract us and to derail us from what it is that you would have for us. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us and encourage us, that we would leave from this place encouraged and empowered to move in the ways in which you would have for us. And Lord, I pray at the end of it all that if there's someone here who doesn't know you, that they will put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. One of the things that I would love to share with you, something about me, so that, you know, I can, you know, we, we can become family. I already feel like family, but we can become closer. One of the things about me that's interesting is that I'm a fitness nut. I, I, I love fitness. In fact, I went to Ohio State University, got a degree in exercise science, wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon, but the Lord decided to do otherwise. But I'm a fitness junkie. I love exercise, I love nutrition, I love anything that it relates to that. And one of the things, uh, as it relates to nutrition or and, and just physical fitness in general, one of the things that they tell you is that it doesn't matter how much you do in the gym. It doesn't matter how many weights you uh, that you lift. If you have a horrible diet, it means nothing. And so I began to focus in on my nutrition. And one of the things that I, I love to do is cook. One of the things I can't stand is meal prepping. I can't stand meal prepping. And so I'm always looking for ways to cut corners. And one of the ways that I found uh, to make this a little bit more efficient was to get a rice cooker. One rice cooker is interesting because you can just put the rice in there, pour the water on, plug it in, and it'll just magically cook it. You don't got to stand by the stove and stir it. You don't got to do any of this. And so I was excited when I got this rice cooker. I put the rice in, put the water in, I plug it in, the light comes on, and I'm thinking, okay, it's working. So I go on and finish my meal prep. 20 minutes later, I come back to that pot, and I'm thinking, man, I got white, fluffy rice. Usually I overcook it, and it's like mush, but I'm like, this is going to be perfect. I open up this rice cooker, and it's still rice and water, and I'm confused. It looked like it was on. The light was on. I I followed the instructions, I thought. But one of the things that I realized is that on a rice cooker, although the light may be on, you have to flip the switch from warm to cook. I forgot to engage the power source. 
I was so uh, in a rush to try to get other things done that I missed the main thing. And in the end, I ended up having to make that rice on that pot. For many of us, our lives are just like me trying to cook rice in a rice cooker. We found ourselves in spiritual stalemates where it feels like everything is going to plan. It feels like God has called you to do something and you feel like, man, God wants you to do all of these things. You started to take steps, but it's not necessarily panning out the way you thought. You've done everything in your power, your power to try to get to what it is that God has for you. But you realize that, man, you are running low. You're weary, trying to give God your best, but you're not doing it in his strength, but you're doing it on your own. And even for the church, the church has found itself in this weird situation where in a lot of ways we're trying to do and to be what God has called us to be, but we're, we're going at it the wrong way. We're not engaging the true power source. We're trying to do everything that we can in our own strength. And the reason why I know this is because there's been uh, this proliferation of churches that are more focused on flashing lights and smoke machines and skinny jeans and cool programming and coffee, thinking that that's going to attract folks. And that's not necessarily the case. It doesn't matter how cool and hip your services are. If we are not engaging in the true power source, it does, it's all for not. We, we begin to fall in the trap thinking that filling seats instead of providing avenues for sinners to get saved, poor and overlooked to receive help and needs to be met. We forget that the early church didn't have a building. They didn't have money. They didn't have political influence. They didn't have the social status, and yet this movement of the early church turned the world upside down. Why is this the case? Because they were energized and led by the Holy Spirit. To be sure, the act of Pentecost was a one-time event in history that I believe will not be repeated. However, we can be encouraged by the acts that occurred in the birth of the church on a personal and corporate level. Our text is tailored to teach us this big idea this morning, that if the believer or the church wants to be effective in kingdom work, they or it must be filled and directed by the Holy Spirit. In a lot of ways, we have to flip the switch. We have to engage the Holy Spirit. Now, before we jump into our text this morning, I want to give us a good runway to take off on. Our text opens up and it tells us that the apostles are in Jerusalem for Pentecost. The Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, was the celebration of the harvest, but not only that, but the Jews would celebrate this as the day that the law of God was given to them. As Christians, we don't just celebrate that the law was given, but we celebrate that Jesus' final promise was fulfilled on this day, that he would indeed send the great comforter and he would go and prepare a place for us. And so we celebrate what happened thousands of years ago in the initiation of this early church. And the text tells us that that all able-bodied men who were Jewish and identify or identify with Jewish tradition would have been in Jerusalem at this time. I want you to think of it this way, that representatives from every aspect of the world are convening in Cincinnati for a week-long festival. This will be an awesome opportunity for God to do something incredible, don't you think? And it literally is this backdrop that we find ourselves ready to receive this first point. 
that if we want to uh, be the type of people that will be used by God, we must first wait for the promise. We must wait for the promise. In verses 1 through 4, it shares a lot about this. And Pastor Drew told me uh, that he preached on some of this stuff, so I'm just retreading on good ground here. Verse number 1 lets us in on something interesting. It says that the apostles were all together in one place. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said Jesus comes to them and commands them that they will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. He then gives them this amazing mission. He tells them this, but then he says, you need to wait. So it's this hurry up and wait deal that Jesus does. Some of us have found ourselves in this situation, right? God is giving you a vision for what it is that he wanted you to do in your life. And you're so excited and ready to get ready to the work. You want to get about the business. You want to do it. God has called you to open up that daycare. God has called you to start that business. God has told you to begin taking steps of faith into ministry or to sing or whatever it may be. And then there's this moment where God says, but hold on. Never been there. In God's God's holy waiting room, the disciples, the apostles found themselves in this space. And I love what it says. They're not just twiddling their thumbs. They're actively waiting. The text tells us in Acts chapter 1 that they are in what looks to be a 10-day waiting prayer meeting. And during this meeting, they chose a replacement for Judas. They prayed, they fasted. And the text tells us on two occasions that everyone was on one accord, that there's power in unity. Can you imagine for a moment what could happen if the big C church was unified? Not just, not just, not just Presbyterians, but I'm saying if the Presbyterians and Baptists got together. And then they brought their Pentecostal brothers and sisters with them. And they said, you know what, Lutherans and Methodists, if you came, let, let's, let's be about our father's business unified. Can you imagine what could happen? But then the passage shares with us a promise being fulfilled. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. And here we see the Holy Spirit comes. I know this is not like, you know, super deep what you thought it was going to be, but this makes me excited. On the inside, I'm shouting. Because it reminds us yet again, brothers and sisters, that we serve a God who keeps his promises. As one pastor told me, God is rarely early. He's never late. He's always right on time. And if you are in Christ... I want to share something with you. All of the promises in scripture are true for you. If you are not in Christ, the opposite of every promise that is in this, in this book is true of you. But if you're in Christ, you can be encouraged to know that although we may not know the timestamp when these promises may come to pass, the reality is if you are in Christ, God will address and he will always come through on his promises. Two amazing things happen in this upper room that relate to the Holy Spirit. First, the scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit came like a loud rushing wind. Wind in the scriptures has been associated with the spirit of God and life. It's the same life-giving breath that God, uh, that made uh, Dusty Adam a a living being. That same life-giving breath, that wind, that ruach that it is talking about is present here. To give this ragtag group of people the ability to become a life-giving church. 
But not only does it say that, that the, the Holy Spirit comes in as, as a, as a rushing, a loud rushing wind, but the Spirit comes to them as flames of fire. Flames of fire. Fire has been seen in the scriptures as a sign of purifying and of God's presence. Come back with me in that upper room. So life has been breathed on these, on this ragtag group of believers. Where now there's the initiation of a church that's taking part. But then there's the, the flame of fire that's signifying that he's purifying this group of people to be set apart to do the work that he's called them to do. But then he gives them a promise through the flames that he's with them. I love this. This is so good. This is why I love this passage. It's controversial in some parts, but it's real good for us if we just sat in it. God, yet again, is showing us his character. That when he says he's with you, he's with you. Matthew chapter 28, this ain't in my script, in my, in my manuscript, this is for free. Matthew 28 says this. When Jesus says that he wants them to go and make disciples, what's the promise at the back end of that? And lo, as my grandmother would say, and lo... I'll be with you always, is what it says in the old King James Version. Jesus promises that he'll be with you. The Spirit of God says in so many words, showing us in this moment, I'm going to be with you as well. And the Father already affirmed that he, uh, because we're in Christ, that he's with us and that he loves us. It's this beautiful Trinitarian wink from the scriptures to remind us that we serve a God who is like that, as they say where I'm from. Meaning that, man, he is true to his word, that he loves his creation. Let's get into the weeds here. Next, the text tells us that there's the filling of the Holy Spirit in verse number four. Like the baptism of the Spirit that only occurs one time, you can be filled multiple times. Hang in there with me. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me make this clear. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens one time when you are, uh, when you've made that profession of faith, when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord, as Romans 10, 9 and 10 uh, say to us, when you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died and that he raised from the grave, and upon that confession, you are saved. You are baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you can be filled which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Spirit. The believers would have experienced, these, these apostles would have been experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit back in John chapter 20, verse 19 through 23. Right before Thomas came in to feel the holes in his hand and his side. So technically, they were already filled, but in this moment, they were filled again. And on two different occasions in the book of Acts, the church was filled and we noticed something. They did something. Look at the text. It says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they began to do what? Share about God. Acts chapter four, Acts chapter four, verse eight says, Peter and John were filled with the Spirit, and what happened? Boldness. They became bold, and they were standing for Christ. Acts chapter four, verse thirty-one. The early church prayed for boldness, and then the text tells us that they were filled with the Spirit. What did they do? They spoke the word of God boldly. As one scholar put it, if you want to see if a person is spirit-filled. One of the ways to answer this would be to see if how he or she speaks often in a work in and through the lives of us both individually and corporately. But before we can move, we must be filled, which begs the question, have you and I and as a church, have we prayed to be filled with the spirit to accomplish all that God has set out for us to do? 
Or do we believe that we can outrun God? That we can do this on our own? And if you do believe that, my follow-up question to you is how is that working out for you? I got to rush. Not only do we wait for the promise, but secondly, we respond boldly. We respond boldly. Verses 5 through here, when it says tongue, it's this Greek word that's uh, translated glossalia. I want y'all to just, this is just group participation. I want everybody to just repeat after me. Glossalia. Y'all got good Greek. This is good. I like this. Glossalia is translated the English word glossary or tongue. Uh, Here in this particular text, it's talking about intelligible languages. In this particular text, in Acts, right here, the text is telling us that they spoke in intelligible languages. This is not to discount the speaking of tongues in unintelligible languages. I would say to some of my brothers and sisters, you just picked the wrong text. This is not the text for that. In this particular text, when they got filled with the Spirit, they began to speak in known languages. How do I know that? Well, if we read on further, it tells us this, that these people look up at each other and say, wait a minute, I'm hearing them speak in my native language. I'm not making this up. This is what the text tells us. That the Spirit gave them this supernatural ability to begin to speak in foreign languages. This is the, this is what is miraculous. This is what this text is showing us. That these people began to hear in their native tongue. And we also know that they're not speaking in unintelligible languages because if we're doing everything in decency and in order, there should have been an interpreter. But you don't see it. They're speaking in languages that the people would have known. And here's the thing. That's not even the big point of this particular passage. Do you want to know what the big deal that Luke is trying to get us to understand? What the big caveat here is? Is that the spirit moved, the people responded. That's the point. And it tells us that the scripture uh, gives us over and over again that these individuals were so perplexed. They wouldn't have been necessarily perplexed in what they were hearing. They were perplexed in the people who were saying the stuff. You missed it. I'll give it back to you. They weren't blown away by everything that they were hearing. Remember, these are Jews and people who would have been affiliated with the Jewish tradition. They've heard about God's highlight reel before. In fact, they're there celebrating what God has done. That's not what's blowing them away. What's blowing them away is that these are Galileans that are doing this. They are perplexed. They're like, wait a minute. If anybody was to do this, it wouldn't be Galileans. You see, because Galileans were seen as despicable people. They, they were the, they were the quote unquote trash, as they would say in those societal terms. It's not what I would say. This is what historically what they would say. They were looked down upon. They were unlearned people. They were people that people overlooked. Nothing good can come from these people. But in this moment, the most unlikeliest of people are being used by God And it's challenging. It's shaking some people up. And I love that the text that Luke writes this for us. I'm glad that he does this. 
He does this to remind us that God shows us that he can use the simple to confound the wise. Or to say it another way, God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. He says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God shows us that he does not care about our background or our flaws or how society views us. He can use anybody. And it makes sense now why he saved you and I. That he can use anybody. That we can't discount anybody. That's the point of this particular text. In Near Eastern culture, there's an art form called wabasabi. Wabasabi uh, is interesting in that it's special. Is this understood? The more cracks that these pots have, the more valuable they become. Why is this? To understand this, you have to understand what these pots are mended with. As I learned and researched this, these pots are literally mended with pure precious gold. As one uh, um, uh, person who was uh, uh, sharing this with me, they told me the more cracks that they see in these pots, the more valuable they become because it gives an opportunity for more of the goodness to be seen. Friend, you and I are like broken pottery. And I know what the enemy tries to tell us, to get us on the sidelines, to freeze us out, uses shame and guilt as these, as these calling cards to keep us plastered to our seats, to think that God can't use you, that God doesn't want to use you, He'll use things like your past, your age, your ability, your capability, man, who you know, who you don't know. He'll use anything he can to get you to sit on the sidelines. But hear me, God don't care about your cracks. He doesn't care about your imperfections. In fact, he knows those and he can use those for his glory and for your good. We cannot allow... The, 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 the speakerphone of the enemy who's always loud in our ears to drown out the promises that God has for us as his children. That he will use you and I. No matter We respond boldly. But lastly, we gotta watch God work. I like this. Time won't permit me to go, uh, you know, into detail about everything that happens, uh, after this point. But the good thing is, I know Pastor Drew will be back and he'll, he'll share with you exactly what happens. And so I just want to whet your appetite to what's going to happen. Here, here's, here's what's about to happen in the remainder of chapter two. Y'all ready for this? This is, this is, this is amazing. The Jewish people, uh, the apostles begin to proclaim. We see Peter get up and give this long sermon. Right? It's a long one. So you just got to hang in there. He's going to preach this exquisite sermon. God begins to move. And not only does, does there, not only is there rapid growth that takes place, but the other thing that happens is this beautiful thing that we see uh, towards the end of Acts that not only is it 3,120 people just coming to hear, but they're doing life with each other. They're going out and they're sharing. You get the beautiful passage in Acts 2, verse 20, uh, 42 through 47, where it shares with you what these, uh, what the church is doing. They're organizing in these small groups and they're, they're going out with each other and they're sharing the faith. And the text begins to, to split the, the addition to multiplication. It starts saying not only is some being added, but it's saying it's multiplying. That more and more people are coming to know who Jesus is and what he has done. And it reminds us, of this beautiful idea. Then in a lot of ways, 
God only wants you to do what you can do and let him do what only he can do. When I was in seminary, they called this divine human instrumentality. You do what only you can do and God will do the rest. That there's a responsibility to some degree for you to take a step. You're not supposed to worry about everything else. God is saying, you take the step, I'll handle the rest. Let me see if I can make this plain for you. Uh, Moses was told by God, look, I need you to free the people. He says, I'm going to free the people. He says, all I need you to do is lift up your staff and walk them through the Red Sea. I will handle Pharaoh and the Red Sea. And the next thing we see in the book of Exodus is a scene out of Moana, right? Like, like God tells him to do what only he can do and I'll handle the rest. That's divine human instrumentality. He told Joshua, you will capture the land. I will handle the timepiece. You've seen, you remember that story where they go into battle and it's almost as if as they are fighting, God is literally just holding the sun in the sky. And there's only one time in history where we know that literally time stood still. And what is it showing us? God is saying, you do what only you can do and I'll handle the rest. That's divine human instrumentality. Jesus told the disciples, you go and feed them. Go and take the orders. I'll work on making this Lunchable into an unlimited Mitchell seafood, you know, surprise. You do it on human instrumentality. He told uh, the sisters and those who wrapped up Lazarus, he says, look, I will handle the resurrection. But your responsibility is to move the stone away. And when he comes out doing the icky shuffle, I need you to unwrap him because... You do what only you are called to do, and I will handle the rest. It's called divine human. Y'all good. I like this. This is good. Y'all got it. It's divine human instrumentality. Church, in a lot of ways, God is calling us to do specific stuff, but he's not calling us to be God. We get in trouble as churches because we start taking steps outside of our lane. God is saying, I need you to share your faith. Don't worry about saving them. I got that. You just share. God is calling some of us today. He's saying, look, I know you've been praying and praying and praying about this opportunity. He's saying, I just need you to pick up the phone and call. I'll handle the open doors. I'll handle that part. You take one step. I got the rest. You all know that he's been praying and he's been sharing with you the direction of this church. Maybe what God is calling you all to do right now is to take one step and he'll handle the rest. What could happen if we just did that? What could happen if the church decided that, man, we're going to focus on what it is that God has called us to do and nothing else? Well, I want you to imagine this with me. On Monday, world hunger could be ended. By Tuesday, the foster system could be emptied. By Wednesday, all schools in America could be providing great education. By Thursday, sex trafficking could be erased. By Friday, the gospel could have been spread across the uh, 1040 window in every other geographical location where the gospel has not been presented. By Saturday, disciples could be made all over the world. And honestly, by next Sunday, Jesus could be coming back. And I know what you're saying. The skeptic in you is like, that's not possible. 
But I want to leave you with this. This is only possible who has shown us the impossible. And he leaves us with scriptures like this. Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. It past 170. We'll be able to look back and celebrate what God has done because we took one step and God handled the rest. Let's go before the Lord and let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity and this time to be able to hear from you. Now, Lord, I pray that you would, that you would remind us of your goodness, of your grace and your mercy that you've bestowed upon us, that we wouldn't be discouraged by where we are, but that we would be encouraged to know that we can take the next step because we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Give us boldness to be able to walk uh, with you. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today who's been trying to do life on their own and they've realized that they can't do this, that they are a horrible savior for themselves, that they would be reminded that all of this is possible because of what Jesus Christ has done, that he died in their place and for their sins. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today, that they would respond in faith. And for the believers, I pray that we would leave from this place better than when we came, empowered to be able to go out to take the steps that you've called us to take, knowing that you have not left us, but that you're right there with us. So in your son's name, we pray and give thanks. Amen and amen.